Hi, and welcome back to But Where Are You From? This is a quick little intro to let you know that this is our final, final episode this season. Yes, that's right. We've been doing seasons all along. Who, who knew? I didn't know. And I'm the one that bloody does this stuff. Um, but yes, we've been doing seasons and this was our third season. And I think this is our 17th episode for season three where we basically incorporated be seen into the podcast and it's gone pretty darn well we'd love to know your thoughts uh, but we thought we'd let you know that we're going on a break we were on a break um whilst we get everything sorted over the month of august for et heritage month but please do let us know what you think send us a review over on apple podcasts um please donate to us if we have made you think a little bit if we have provoked any type of emotion or thought from you um head to our coffee.com link which we've plugged and plugged but it's in our show notes as usual um and of course keep an eye out for ec heritage month stuff um i hope you've enjoyed listening to season three of the podcast oh by the way did i say it's viv one of the co-hosts Anyway, enjoyed this week's episode, this final episode of the season. This episode is a Q&A with Charlie, Carly, Mayan and Amy. Hope you enjoy. Just a content warning on this episode to say that near the beginning, we describe near-death experiences that involve some bodily harm. So if you want to skip ahead 10 to 15 minutes of this episode, please do so. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hello and welcome to But Where Are You From? A podcast by BC, Britain's East and Southeast Asian Network. I'm your host today, Amy Fung. And with me are three other BC co-founders. Who's going to kick off? <laughs> um, I'm Charlie Wong. I am one of the BC co-founders. And I am five foot two. There's a fun fact about me. I don't know why oh. I said that. But I felt I was going to say I had curly hair, but then I thought I might take Carly's. So spoiler yeah. alert, Kyle is also here. Take it away, Carly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hi everyone, I'm Carly and I'm the one with pink hair, although now it's kind of going slightly orange and Amy once described it as sunset sherbet, so I'll take yeah. that one, thank you. <laughs> hi everyone, my name is Mayan, and a fun fact about me is, oh, I've got hypermobile joints. Oh, me too. Does that mean you can like Which bend your fingers sounds like, like it should this. be a good thing. The listeners can't see, but well, Charlie me, is doing that... something with her hands and it's sort of <laughs> almost at 90 degree bent backwards. I can also do it with my toes, which is weird. That's I won't show you that. terrifying. <laughs> well, for me, it means more like I dislocate stuff. I can dislocate stuff easily. So I have to be really careful with mm. exercise, stuff like yoga, for example. Um, it could be like, I think you... It's, for some people, it means that they're really flexible, but for other people, I think the flexibility tricks you into thinking that you can do anything and then you dislocate stuff, which I have found out the hard way. Oh, gosh. Did you ever have that thing where, um, say, when you were really young and kids have definitely very loose joints? Um, my boyfriend's telling me that once his mom was swinging him around and not really hard, but, you know, you just lift up kids by their arms sometimes because they're swinging them, I guess, back in the day. And... Um, his arm completely came out of the socket. Oh. They had to pop it back in. Oh my God, what? Oh. <laughs> it was fine okay, though. Well, like, maybe now's a good gone. time for me to tell you one of my horrible stories. Go on. So I, um, I took up surfing a few years ago and because where I live in Dakar, it's like, it's like a surfer's hotspot because we get um, we get swell all year round. So loads of people come to Senegal to do surfing and if you live there it's just kind of one of the things that you have to do because it's really affordable and you can go anytime blah 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 so I was surfing really into it and I used to go over the weekend and I was it was quite a calm day and like the waves were really good for learning but then 
the waves suddenly changed and they got really, really violent. And I took a wave and then I like stupidly turned around and I had my arm over, uh, I had the surfboard flat and I had my arm over it. So I was kind of like um, holding it width ways. And then I was turned around and I was walking back out towards the waves. And then a massive wave came along and pushed me over and I was still holding onto the surfboard. And then the whole weight of the wave came down on the flat of the surfboard and it pushed my arm right back. I was like um, oh. face, like back on my lying on my back in the water looking up and the wave just pushed my arm so far back. I felt it pop out of its socket. Oh, and oh. then obviously I let go of the surfboard. And then the waves were just like so violent. I couldn't swim because I obviously had my, my arm was just like flapping about. Then I the, the wave like rolled me over and I felt my arm go back into its socket. And then I was just, you know, when I don't know if you've ever been trapped in water that's really violent, but like you feel like you haven't got enough time to breathe in between the waves coming and then you start to panic and then you get really tired and it was just horrible. And I was just like, oh, I'm actually going to die. Like I am actually going to die here. Um, and I genuinely thought I was going to drown. And then out of nowhere, my surf instructor just like, came, he turned up, like he swam over to me and he just picked me up, put me on the surfboard and then like pushed me all the way back to shore. And it was just like one of the most terrifying experiences of my entire life so the moral of the story is never surf um in really rough water if you are not experienced enough because it's really dangerous and you might drown and then I yes I had this it's not a dislocation because it went back in but it was like a, a subluxation I think they call it um in my left shoulder and once you've dislocated your shoulder it means that it's really prone to dislocation again so I have to be really careful with like lifting stuff and weights and sports and stuff like that because sometimes it moves when it's not supposed to gosh that was like a fun story for you on top of another like yeah it was really coming down arm coming in and out socket about to drown yeah <laughs> it was a That's lot to hear yeah. just after you've eaten lunch i have got the actual <laughs> dry heave heating that <laughs> are well, you guys quite squeamish like about body stuff Mm, I would, yeah if, when it like that story just made me feel very like oh yeah feeling about popping in and out and anything anything like I mean even the whole idea of putting contact lenses in my eyes I find that already very weird and, and very uncomfortable so I'm I think I'm particularly I don't know if I would say squeamish but I, I just feel very sickly when I you know yeah. just uncomfortable when I hear things like that I don't think I'm squeamish if it's happening to me. I think someone else describe it happening to them makes me feel all kind of ways. But I also have a near-death experience. Should we just make this about near-death experiences? Yeah, because go I can on. tell you mine. Yeah. So when I was in <laughs> an EC country, which I can't remember what it was, but let's take a guess and say it was Malaysia. So it might not be Malaysia. Don't come for me. Don't at me. I don't know. So I was about seven and my sister was a, would have been 10. And obviously my parents were there. We decided that we would go, we call it whitewater rafting, but really it's canoeing in ever so slightly wavy um, rivers. So we went to some like this river place we had an instructor I was on um like a canoe with my mom my sister was on a canoe with my dad um a notable fact me my sister and my dad cannot swim at all so why we thought this was a good idea I have no idea but anyway me and my mom were paddling along having a great time we were really good at it because I used to canoe when I was younger um my dad and my sister were further back because they weren't very good at it and basically, we kind of went all over these things. We went ahead of the instructor, which was stupid to start with. But then we reached this thing and we just saw this massive animal in the water. And when I say massive animal, it was huge. So it was in the distance. So we couldn't really see what it was. But all we could see was it splashing and like a massive um, silhouette of this huge animal. So we were like, oh, my God, can't go any further. So we just stopped where we were and we were waiting and we were waiting for ages, and I mean ages. And we were like, what on earth are they doing? Like, how is it taking them this long? And it turns out that they'd come up against this, like, rapids bit that uh, had all of a sudden, like, the 
knock them off the boat. My dad thought he was going to die. He was clinging to a rock and he was like to the instructor, save my daughter, save my daughter, which, you know, wasn't funny at the time, but now we laugh about it. And he was thinking like they were going to die while we were like waiting to see what this beast was. (laughs) So my sister and my dad were like literally turned over in their boat and like trying to like get to safety. And then when they finally arrived, we were like, there's a massive animal. Anyway, as we got a bit closer, it turned out to be a water buffalo, which I don't know whether it's vicious or not, but it was huge, like absolutely ginormous. Um, So basically my sister nearly drowned. My dad nearly drowned. My dad said uh, the instructor had to save my sister first. um, And we nearly died to a water buffalo. And I've never been back since. Yeah. There are so many, there's so many things in that story to like, (laughs) I don't even know where to start. And it sounds really unreal, but I promise you, if my sister's listening to this, she will corroborate, 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 is that the word? Yeah, Yeah. corroborate. Corroborate that this is a true story. (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of water related near-death experiences. I think, fortunately, I've not had anything close to near-death, but I can certainly remember one trip when we went to Korea and I was about probably 12 and we were on this um, kind of minibus um, that we were part of a tour group and what had happened was it had been raining so much that year and particularly that summer and that day that we were en route to I think um, more of a rural aspect of Seoul and I think it was what maybe early evening and the path that we were going along was kind of like a, a rough road dirt track sort of thing and next to that was this rather fast running river and because there was more rainfall there was more water and it was just a lot more currents and what had happened was there was also um not so much as a landslide but certainly some of the rocks had loosened and come onto the path so then the the road had narrowed and so the driver who had about 15 years of experience was navigating this winding um not cliffside but certainly uh, river riverside if you would say that and basically to cut a long story short it really felt as if we were going to tip into uh, the the river next to us I think it was also windy that day and it was just very very terrifying and for a child who can't swim and still can't swim uh, to be trapped on a minibus with your family and everyone's like shitting themselves and telling the driver not to go ahead but the driver's like no no it's okay I'm experienced and for him to just continue yeah, needless to say, that scared me senseless for a while. The but water that's... ones are the scariest, I think, especially if you can't swim. And yeah, I guess that's one of the things that yeah. makes me think, oh, I don't want to go near water. But I do have an experience that is not near death. It was more like more near severe injury experience. And it's <laughs> I feel like it's quite a pathetic one because it's kind of my fault. Um, so back in the day when I used to go to loads of gigs, um, it used to be quite common to go crowd surfing. So people pick you up and they just put you on the crowd and you like swim to the front because people are like putting their hands up and shimming you to the front of the stage. And um, for some stupid reason, I did it once and I nearly fell head first down because there was a gap in the crowd. So I oh went my God. swooshing down and at the last minute, like literally an inch from the ground, someone caught my ankles and stopped me from basically landing on my head. Oh my God. And because it was really hectic and there were loads of people, there was like moshing, there was ash was on the stage and I was like a bit discombobulated. I sort of looked at the person and like walked away. And I keep thinking back all the time to this moment where I want to find this person and say, thank you so much. Because <laughs> I was this close to like snapping my neck basically. So that is my near severe wow. <laughs> Carly's face right now. <laughs> She's in complete shock. It's a, it's a good job you're short, Amy. Back in the day. Yeah, I was just thinking that. I used to do a lot of crowd surfing back in the day, but like someone would always grab a boob like oh, really gosh. not really really horrible which that is kind of what I think about when I think of that I have quite a few of those um not necessarily near death but near serious injury stories like um the time that I got pushed out of a moving train by an angry Serbian man is a, a <laughs> one that <laughs> I tend to forget about I was at this festival in Serbia exit festival and 
we were after the festival's over my friends and I were all trying to get on a train from this town in Serbia where the festival was back to um back to Belgrade and the train was absolutely heaving like people were just piled in probably way over capacity and so I was in a big group of friends we all piled on but we got separated and I was with one of my friends just crouching in the like the corridor of the carriage we didn't have actual seats and we had these massive rucksacks like hiking bags and it was we were so packed in all of our friends were distributed throughout the carriage and then there was no announcements about the names of the stops there was no I couldn't see any maps or anything like had no idea when to get off the train everything was in Serbian um and we heard kind of shouting throughout the carriage like our friends passed along the message it's time to get off we have to get off we have to get off but the train was so crowded we just couldn't so I basically was just climbing like climbing over bags really pissing people off and we get to the door of the of the carriage and the train starts to move and all of my friends jumped off and there were the last three of us and my friend just picked up my rucksack and threw it off the train and then jumped off after it and then the train was moving and I was like well no 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 that's my bag it's got all my stuff in there I need to go I need to jump. but then this guy this Serbian guy next to me grabbed the back of my t-shirt and started shouting at me and obviously I didn't understand what he was saying because I don't speak Serbian but it sounded to me like he was saying no 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 no, no. you should stay on the train you shouldn't jump off a moving train it's really dangerous but I was like, but all my stuff is over there. I have to get off. And so I was shouting at him in English. He was shouting at me in Serbian. And then somewhere along the way, he got really mad at me. And in my head, what he decided was just like, oh, well, fuck you then. And then he just pushed me. And so I rolled out of the train onto the um, the tracks. I don't know what the, like, the stones are called on train tracks, but basically there was a big bank of them that it was like a raised track. So rolled all the way down this um, bank of rubble, I guess. Like, thankfully, to my group of friends. Um, but I stood up and I had this massive gash on the back of my um, of my back, like where I just had a, a, like a really big cut and it was really awful. And I still have a scar on my back. Um, but yeah, and I had no idea what happened because I like didn't understand what the guy was saying to me. And then one of my friends got left in the train carriage so she just carried on to to like wherever the train was going I think she actually ended up it was going to Croatia it was one of those ones that goes like across countries <laughs> and we just like watched her sail off and I was really like in shock and then it turned out that we weren't actually at the train station and we had to walk like half a kilometer up the track in order to get to the train station and it was so just horrible I was just covered in dirt and blood and muck and feeling very in shock because I'd just been pushed out of a train and I was all banged up but I survived to tell the tale I mean it's a wonder any of us are still here to be honest I mean do you think like maybe I mean I don't know but I wonder if maybe you know because you were debating whether to jump or not or how to jump do you think he pushed as an as a way of like you know I'll help you you've (laughs) got to jump now rather than like you sort of calculating oh when should I jump maybe he just thought if I push you now your natural instincts will kick in and then you don't have to decide anymore and then they just didn't well I mean (laughs) all of it let go and roll down the hill (laughs) just sounds absolutely terrifying and my idea my idea of a of a nightmare I would never do that I would just be like do you know what I'd rather sit on the train train. get to the wrong station and then work out my route from then on that's the type of person I am oh well Carly maybe one day I'll tell you about the time when I almost got eaten by dingoes (laughs) oh you did tell us a story actually I remember that it's a tale for another podcast (laughs) yeah we can't give all the near-death experiences out in one go can we (laughs) yeah strong final destination vibes um in this podcast episode is that the right is that the right film that I'm talking about is that the one where they're in the plane and there's like a pattern of all the seats and people die in the same order that yeah and they all die basically (laughs) but we didn't die spoiler alert (laughs) so it's not final destination it's like first second and third stop yeah penultimate (laughs) destination (laughs) the podcast BC podcast episode but actually this episode is um 
more of a light and loose one. Uh, we've got a few questions. Um, I actually found them from the last time we asked be seen as members of the public to send in a few questions. So I've got them lined up here. So the first question is, what do you guys do professionally when you're not wearing your be seen hats? Oh, that's a good question. Should I start? Yeah, go for it. Um, in my daytime, I am a communications specialist, I guess. Um, just giving myself a title upgrade there. I'm a communications officer, actually. So I do that for a large electricity distribution company. I am a full electricity nerd, which um, my aunt and Amy learnt about when I was in London a couple of weekends ago. Um, but yes, yeah, so I do all the comms. So at the moment, I work in internal communications, doing kind of the company newsletter, um, the company magazine, any kind of communications that go out to colleagues. That's what I do at the moment but have previously worked in press and events, stakeholder, corporate social responsibility, et cetera. Good question. Mm. You do so much. I feel like you wear a lot of hats at your work. Um, at my work now, I don't think I do as much. I think at my previous role, I used to do the same thing, but in agency. So I used to be across the spectrum of communications so basically we would do anything that an in-house team didn't want to do so you ended up with a lot of stuff um but nowadays I feel like I I am a, a proper internal comms person now yeah I actually have a mini question if you could all answer after you answer the main question is what did you want to be when you were small though that's a great question well, when I was really small, when I was about six and I got asked that question, I wanted to be a camel because <laughs> I used to hate drinking water, um, which is very different to me now. But the fact that camels don't have to drink very much and they store all the water was very appealing to me. Um, when I realised that wasn't a feasible option, I then moved to wanting to be one of them pizza makers in Tesco's. You know how you can go and order your choose your own yeah. pizza? My mum, I'm not even joking... We used to go to Tesco. She used to take me to that counter, leave me there for an hour while she did the shop and I would just watch them make the pizzas. And I was so fascinated because you had a perfect ladle full of tomato sauce and then you had to like smoosh it round in a perfect circular um, motion. And I really wanted to do that. And I still think that'd be very satisfying to this day. So if communications that. and Bissine doesn't work out, I'm going to Tesco to be a pizza maker. <laughs> it's my calling. I don't even like pizza that much. <laughs> but it's the process and the act of making it. Exactly. And, you know, I think that's what's really wonderful about the six of us is that we have such different uh, backgrounds and professional occupations. And also, I guess, dreams uh, as, <laughs> as children for what, what we wanted to do. Um, so I work... Um, in my day job I work at Contemporary Art Gallery in Scotland and I do things such as organizing uh, our director's diaries calendars also for the gallery I do a lot of um, planning for exhibition openings uh, so for kind of dinners for also I guess events virtual and in-person events um, I also um, assist with our archive department in collating um, everything relating to all the artists and also I handle the press um, and generally at the moment um, with obviously the pandemic and the travel restrictions we can't quite participate in art fairs however um, in a normal circumstance I would be also flying out to different art fairs and um, again supporting the gallery with with selling artwork and connecting with other organizations and um, institutions and making things happen for our artists. So um, in relation to the next question of what I wanted to be when I was younger, first and foremost, it would have been in the arts. So I'm very lucky to be working in the field that I kind of dreamt about as a kid. So it would have been working as an artist or I did at one point as well, go through a stint of wanting to be an actress or a voice actress. But because there was so little representation of Asian actors on screen, I very quickly gave up that hope thinking it wouldn't be possible because nobody wanted a British Chinese actress. So shout out to all the EC actors out there right now, showing the children out there that it is possible to be an actress, even if you're from um, 
a different background from the majority in the UK. So that was me. And also, I think I really, really enjoyed Pokemon. And I was hoping that I could be a voice actor in that series. So I feel like it's not too late. Like you're you're at kind of the prime age to be an actress, surely. Like, let's do it, Carly. Just do it. I mean, there's definitely success stories of people coming into acting much later in life. And, you know, I have got a few things out there. There's some material out there that <laughs> I could become a showreel. So if anyone is like looking. Granny. <laughs> oh, thanks a million. For <laughs> um, yeah. A spinoff. Yep. Waiting for oh, yeah. uh, more adverts. Um, in fact, if, if you're ever on Netflix, I'm sure plenty of you are. I am actually in one of the feature films in there. Easter egg. Which one? Wow. Uh, I am, <laughs> I'm in the Will Ferrell film called, uh, what was it, Eurovision 2020. What? That's what? Really that recent. film is amazing. Yeah, so what I, were you doing? So if you watch Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams, and <gasps> I think in 20 minutes into the film, they fly to Edinburgh, uh, where apparently the, I think that's where. Yeah, it's, it's where the, hosted, the right? yeah. Oh my God, yeah, I'm so, so, this is so exciting. <laughs> So, why so were you, you sitting watch, on that uh, no you i've told you this before i think i've sent you oh. screenshots as well anyway no! why didn't you mention this when i was like jizzing over this film i have to tell jamie he's really <laughs> excited about eurovision at the moment and we i can't believe you never told us well, this listeners listen to this if you go to i think the time mark is about 21 minutes into the film and you'll see will ferrell and rachel mcadams land in edinburgh and then they First of all, the scene starts off with them being in a hotel room and they're gathering their stuff together. And then cue, there's a montage of them going around Edinburgh. So they go around that really famous, um, I can't remember what the street's called. but um, Victoria Street. Is it Victoria Street? But the one that bends around anyway. The, the one, the one with all the colourful doors in it. Yeah, that's right. Oh. That so Victoria you'll, Street. See them, you'll see the two of them um, on, in this kind of uh, Jeep or van or what, big car and they're in the sunroof. And you'll see them go around the corner and they wave. And I am in the grey jacket with long black hair. I hadn't dyed my hair this. Um, and I'm waving to them. I walk past. And then um, there was another scene that I was in uh, where they are sitting outside a pub and they're having a pint. And I'm just at the edge of the screen. You can see me there. And then there's another one where they are on, um, you know, those kind of, they're not scooters, but they're like two big wheels. Oh, Segway. Oh, yeah. So... Uh, the two of them are on segways and they go around the fountain um, you can't see me but I am in that scene and I'm walking around the fountain I think you just missed me but so I have seen both Will Ferrell that and Rachel McAdams in real life. so exciting. <laughs> I think we need to like create a new challenge so for all the listeners I need all the listeners to go to this film find Carly <laughs> send us screenshots and tag at be seen on Instagram. Yeah that's a great idea. That's, that's to, your homework. I used to do, um, this is so nowhere near as exciting, but I used to do uh, quite a bit of voiceover work back in the day. Oh! Um, I've got a very good, like, sultry, posh British voice, if I want to turn it on. Do it. Go on. on. Tell us this right, next sentence, this story. No, I want this whole story in your sultry British tones. Yeah, tell us your occupation this... in those tones. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> you can't you can't make what i do sexy um oh, I, I, need, I, need a, I need a script write me out something and i'll read it to you in the in the, in the sultry i reckon like, it's always stuff like um you know like body moisturizer or shampoo you know those are the kind of things that they want you to read out in a kind of sultry british hey, way could you read out the um the wikipedia bio for will ferrell Oh, sh- <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Carly's yeah, best friend, we've that. just Let discovered, just, by yeah. the way. This is now a Will Ferrell themed podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. I need to like warm up, you know. La 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 la. La 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 Okay, this is going to be shit now. All right, I'm ready. Will Ferrell. From Wikipedia, the free encyclopedia. John William Farrell, born July 16th, 1967, is an American actor, comedian, producer, and writer. He first established himself in the mid-1990s as a cast member on the NBC sketch comedy show, Saturday Night Live, 
and has subsequently starred in comedy films such as Elf, Kicking and Screaming, Semi-Pro, and Land of the Lost. He founded the comedy website Funny or Die in 2007 with his writing partner, Adam McKay. Other notable film roles include The Other Guys, The Campaign, Get Hard, Holmes and Watson, and the animated films Curious George and Megamind. How's that? He sounds so maternal almost actually there. Yeah, it also sounds like Will Ferrell's a product, which I suppose he is, but that definitely gave a new spin on him. Thank you. For well, the voiceovers that I used to do were advertising mostly for like body creams and shit. So I think that's why I was challenging. Are there <laughs> any ads that you're in? Do you have a reel? A show reel? Oh, God, no. It's from so long ago. I don't. Um, I think it may have been pre. Thank, thank God for that. There's no trace of this. Um, <laughs> this horrendous. Well, now there is now. Trace. Now there is yeah. on the podcast. Um, but what do I do for a living? I am a localization specialist. Um, and I used to be a translator. So I'm a translator turned project manager. Basically what I do is I help clients to launch their products in different markets. So they would come to us and say like, oh, I've got this app and it's doing really well, but I really want to launch it in India and, you know, Southeast Asia, blah, blah, blah. And I would kind of help them devise a strategy to do that and then I would say, I can do this and this and this if you give me this much money. And then they say, okay. And then I would do it. So it's kind of like consultation and project management for translation, localization services, all that kind of stuff. Um, Could you launch Be Seen in different markets, please? I could. Yeah, I could definitely do that. But we definitely don't have enough money. (laughs) (laughs) No pro bono? Um, Oh. Well... It, it's, it, it could it could be done it could be done I've got um, big, we've got big dreams for BC so we'll see what happens um, and what did I want to be when I was younger um, so I I guess when I was about 10 I wanted to be a writer slash mechanic slash veterinarian because I, like I couldn't how, make up my mind I like how mechanic was one of them it's because I was really, um, really close to my dad and my dad was a journalist. So I just wanted to do what he did. So I was like, oh, I want to write. And I also spent my whole childhood reading books. So I was just like, oh, I'm going to write books. And then my dad was always tinkering around with cars and stuff. So I just, I don't know, I think I said it as a, as a way to kind of like be close to him. Because I don't give a shit about cars now. Like I have absolutely no desire to be a mechanic. Um and veterinarian well I really love animals so I still love animals but I don't necessarily uh I'm not really very good at science so that was never really a, a good career option for me did any of you uh do those aptitude tests in school where they would make you do various puzzles or sums or visual tests and then it would come out with what you should be like a career career course uh, did any of you do that? Because when I did mine, I got air traffic controller. Um, I got ceramics designer, which actually I wouldn't have mind going into. And um, interior designer was another one. Um, but yeah, I think I think air traffic controller could have been could have been one of my paths. My um, I remember when I did mine. My thing that it came out as was an ambulance driver, which I thought would be very fun. Um, but I remember more my cousin doing one and she'll laugh at this and she was really excited to tell us and she was like it said said I should be an RSPCA inspector and I don't know why we all found it so funny Um, but she was I mean it was a bit mean really because I think we all laughed at her and she was like oh well I kind of wanted to do that Um, but yeah it was hilarious. Speaking of aptitude tests what didn't come up was uh, graphic designer which is what I do now so I'm a freelance graphic designer uh, I do have a job which sort of contracts me um, like some minimum hours so I have something that's rolling and ongoing in the background um, and then I can do freelance projects on top of that which is really nice because I have a lot of flexibility in my day I get to work from home I get to fit be seen around it and another job is I'm a mum, and I think 
Um, it's quite interesting. One thing I read recently was that on LinkedIn, you can now put parent or mum as one of your jobs because it does take That's up cool. time. Yeah, obviously it's no pay and no sick pay or holiday, but it is still something that um, will take up someone's time and would leave a gap in your CV if you weren't able to put that on there. Because I took two years out um, to raise my daughter. And so if you were to look at my LinkedIn profile, for example, you would see a gap. And so, yeah, it's really great that LinkedIn will enable you to put that in because then you can say, hey, I wasn't just, you know, pissing around. I was raising a child. So that is what I do. And I like yeah. how you always um, I've noticed that you do this, Amy, you always say, OK, I finished my work work. I'm doing be seen work. I finished my mom work. And you you put all of those things as work. And I am trying to do the same with be seen work. When, when people say, what are you doing this morning? If it's like a Saturday morning, or, I've got some work to do. And they're like, oh, you mean work, work? And like, well, it's still work. Even if be seen isn't, I'm not getting paid for it. It's still work. Like you said, parenting is work. So yeah, I like normalizing all of the stuff that we have to do, the unpaid labor as work. It is work, even if we're not getting paid for it. Exactly. It doesn't fall into the exact definition of what you think it would, but uh, it's still something which I think is overlooked quite a lot because I've definitely had moments where people have said to me, oh, right, you're not, you know, you're not working or you're not busy, are you? Because yeah. I've taken time out for maternity leave. It's like, no, I'm actually so much more busy because it's 24 hours as well. Um, so I think it's one of those things that is very easy to dismiss, but um, has a great impact on your life uh, when you become a parent. Uh, but yeah, when I was younger, what did I want to be? Quite a few things. Um, I remember wanting to uh, be, you know, Kiki's Delivery Service. That was one of my favorite films growing up. So it's a Ghibli film and the girl is a witch. And the thing, the reason why I wanted to be her is because she could fly. And I remember grabbing one of my mum's brooms and standing in the garden and uh, trying to oh. jump and fly. So <laughs> I wanted to be a witch uh, like Kiki. Uh, it sounded really awesome because she goes around helping people and I wanted to also deliver like bakeries and cakes oh. and stuff around uh, but seriously I also wanted to I think either be an architect um, or an artist or some kind of painter so I actually doing that You're a little living bit the dream because I also illustrate a little bit and draw so yeah manifested it's become real when I was little I wanted to have like the combined powers of um, Sabrina the Teenage Witch Matilda and Alex Mack. Ooh, wait, what was Alex Mack's power? Again? I mean, actually, with hindsight, Alex Mack's power was kind of shit. She could like melt into like liquid metal <laughs> or water. <laughs> I can't remember. And then she what? could like shape shift and move around. What's she from? From Alex Mack. Oh, you're too young. I don't Hi. know either. Oh, 90s. You were born in the 90s. Okay, well, <laughs> listeners, if anyone out there knows who Alex Mack is, please give us a shout to make Amy and me feel less old. <laughs> um, Amy, does your daughter have ideas about what she wants to be when she's grown up or is she too small still? Uh, when you ask her that question, she's just like, poo, poo, wee, wee. I want to be wee, wee. So yeah, I mean, aspiration wise, I support her if she wants to do that. If she wants to work in sewage works or something, sanitation. Fully, yeah. Yes, sanitation. I fully support it. I have uh, a I have a friend who has a PhD in sanitation studies or something. So I always say that he's a doctor of poop. <laughs> oh my god, Robin would so look up to them. <laughs> that reminds me of when like we asked my brother and he was about four or five when he gave this answer and he said he wanted to be a window cleaner. Because oh, all I he used did to, was yeah. clean windows used... and it was fun and you got a couple of quid for it. And at one point, he also said he wanted to be homeless. And we mm. said to him, what, why? And he said, because you sit in the street and people give you money. <gasps> and, and I just thought, oh, no, such an, oh. <laughs> oh, I, I agree with the window cleaner thing, though, because I used to think it was really therapeutic and really satisfying to see them clean them. And the way they, like, swipe across and it's just very, mm. very satisfying. It's like those jet washing videos and stuff. Love that. Yeah, because you could just pop a podcast on, listen to it, and yeah, you could sort of have fun with it. No, completely. I also had a friend who wanted to, um, when they were younger, 
work in what's it called work on the bin lorries where they go and throw the rubbish away because he really liked the idea of hanging off the back of them because it's it just looked like loads of fun because you know they hang off the back and then they jump off I don't think they do that now do they I feel like health and safety would have something to say about that anyway these are all incredibly important (laughs) jobs and yeah service essential roles yeah service essential thank you appreciate it this just reminded me of you know when you go to america and people say all the time like thank you for your service it's so cringy (laughs) when do they say that normally it's like if you're um like if you're in the military in the military uh in the military sorry americans i'm not making fun of you i'm just observing cultural differences um (laughs) if you're in the military because i think you can get like discounts on stuff in most places if you are serving um marine or whatever and you have like an id card um and i know this because last time i was in the states i was my bosses and we were having dinner and i ordered a pint and they id'd me this was like two years ago i'm 32 um they id'd me uh and they said that they couldn't serve me until i produced some id so i was like oh, i'm gonna have to go back to the hotel and get my passport yeah 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 meanwhile this guy who barely looks 21 sits down next to me with his girlfriend and he pulls out his id and it's a military id and the guy just immediately went oh thank you for your service and then other bartenders kept coming over to the table throughout the evening to like thank him for his service um which, like, I just feel is, it wouldn't happen here. E- e- like, right? Do people do that when they see people who are obviously in the army here? I don't think we, like, publicly go up and thank people personally. I mean, we publicly no. clapped for the NHS, so. Well, I was about True. to say the only similarity we have for discounts are for people who are in the medical profession, in, I think, fire services as well. I think you can get discounts if you are able to produce identification on that front. However, there is no, I'm not aware of anyone actually saying thank you for your service. No, I mean, we do have the discounts. Um, I know Army as well Uh get it. Um, And like you say, NHS and stuff. My mum gets loads of discounts on loads of things. And also teachers do teachers. I know Lucky Voice in Soho do discount for teachers. I'm often trying to rally my teacher friends around to see. <laughs> I think some places do give um, teacher discounts. I mean, the other sort of thing I can think of is when you work at um, a national heritage site or something similar, um, you get benefits from fellow sites, but that's obviously nowhere near as, as a recognised level as someone who works in the NHS or... A question how important are work benefits to you like when you're applying for a job and you know they list that like oh you'll get you'll get free fruit and tea in the kitchen on Fridays we have beer and pizza we provide free sanitary products and things like that how much do you wait do you put on those kinds of things when you're looking for a job I don't care about free tea and coffee but I want a banging pension so yeah I don't care about stuff like that either I want like good pension I want flexible work from home time I want like yeah the the, the big stuff yeah. oh, wow you guys are so much more mature than me I'm like <laughs> yes pizza well, also, in my I think old it's... job I used to um I used to get like if you had to work past 6 p.m on a Friday they pay for a black cab home to wherever you were from central London. I also got um, free membership of the gym at the Barclay Hotel, which was banging, like really, really nice gym and spa. And I used to get discounts on um, different salons and shit in Knightsbridge. So that was pretty nice. And you got free breakfast at the beginning of each month as well, when there was like a a division wide um, breakfast. Like, I mean, this is like really big corporations, literally the least mm. they could do was to give everyone free breakfast, but they bring in like really, really nice pastries and sandwiches and all this kind of stuff. So that was a pretty good perk, I guess. Key difference though, however, is the difference in our industries, like Amy and I mm. being in the arts, the, the idea of benefits and other perks is so drastically different from someone who may work in, for example, in STEM, like just discussing with um, a good friend of mine who works in STEM, not even just like the, the obviously pay or wage difference but things like this you know like there's there's a difference between working in a small um business or in a mid mid-sized business to a big corporation and again another layer of um being in the arts where generally that field itself is just so undervalued and underpaid um so i think when it comes to like when you're talking about pensions and stuff 
I just think, you know, I'm even lucky to have, um, unfortunately, lucky maybe isn't the, the correct or appropriate term, but sadly, the reality is that working in the arts, um, it is lucky to have that. And yeah. when it comes to extra perks like gym membership or, um, I don't know, breakfast and stuff like that, again, I've not really heard that as a thing I think it depends on the discretion of each institution or or business yeah. if they choose to have like I don't know a monthly team gathering or um you know if, if you're working late and you've got to get a taxi home then I think it depends on each place which I think is absolutely right if it's for work um, yeah. but when it comes to like extra things like trips or um yeah that's unfortunately yeah. we still need more recognition for the arts industry in order to see more level um treatment or, or wage um you know stuff like that so. and the arts is always the first thing that gets cut from like council budgets and stuff my and the company in the industry I mean I work for a really small company there's like 20 of us um and the localization sector is like below average in terms of um in terms of tech I mean it's pretty below um so compared to when I was working for this like horrible big corporation where I got loads of fun perks I do much more appreciate working for a small company. I think that small companies, for me personally, um, there's just more, I don't know, it's a bit more intimate, a bit more personal. Uh, and I, I really liked that. But um, I mean, also, I guess we're talking like this job, the corporate job was like almost 20 years ago. And I feel like a lot of stuff has changed. I mean, it was pre-2008 crash. Um, was it? God, I don't even know. No, maybe it wasn't, or it was just after. I don't know. Um, but it wasn't as much of a nice workplace. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I've worked somewhere like Google where they have like, you know, so much stuff designed to like keep you at work that's disguised as fun stuff, like nap pods and like games rooms and stuff. Gosh, like yeah. I always feel like that stuff sounds really cool, but then I'm thinking about it and I'm like, is it because they just want you to stay and work all the time? Mm. Well, that's the other thing, you know, would you rather a place that had really good perks, but you weren't as close to your team or would you have little mm. to no perks oh, but you had a really good team? Team is so important to me because I've worked yeah. in a place where the perks was amazing and it was a games company and it was like my dream to work at this company and it was just the like on the surface the best but actually it was really hard um in the team I went into was actually not the most friendly and even though it was incredible company uh, that I admired loads actually I left quite quickly because I just mm. didn't fit I guess into their particular work culture so to me it's a hundred percent the people because I've also worked in places where the job was so boring but the people were amazing and I ended up staying there for like ages so yeah to me it's definitely people you spend like eight hours a day with your colleagues at least right like yeah, you, yeah. because if you're in the office every day then you're seeing those people more than you see the people that you live with or your loved ones yeah the best perk just before we move on at my company is because I work at an electricity distribution company obviously they're promoting low carbon technologies so we get discounts on like electric vehicles and electric vehicle chargers and things like that oh that's really good yeah haven't taken advantage of it yet but soon watch this space what about electricity to your house yeah <laughs> it's different we're a distribution oh. company not a supplier um, so well, can't can't they distribute to your house <laughs> well they do distribute to my house but they have no say on um how much it costs well they do have a say but it's regulated and they distribute the funds amongst company expenses <laughs> <laughs> we are a regulated industry so i don't think that would fly with off jam sometimes i feel it. like i would like to have a job where you get more free shit like i don't really get free shit in my job um mm -hmm. one time a client sent me a really sick ski jacket that was quite expensive but that's pretty much it but like i have a friend who's a journalist she doesn't review stuff or write about stuff she just gets sent things because yeah they want her to know about them like the mm. other day muller the yogurt people they sent her a massive crate with a really amazing art book in it um like a really thick you know coffee table book with photography in it they sent her some um it was to promote their kefir yogurt drinks or something so they sent her a couple of the yogurts but then they also sent her loads of bath bombs and like face face creams and all this kind of stuff and it came in a really big crate like a really colorful crate filled with and I was just like how do you just get that for just being 
who you are like yeah, yeah. anyone wants to send me like- seeing some free stuff any 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 business owners listening you know we're kind of lacking in the gifted department <laughs> we will i will talk about yeah. yeah if it's food or something that'd be good so right now I also need a new pair of glasses and <laughs> I've been looking for two years my no sizes blah, blah, blah. but yeah <laughs> uh, speaking quickly on big versus small companies I worked in a company with only two people once so it's me and my two bosses wow. and yes I, I went from working in a place at 2,000 people and had loads of those kind of perks that you were talking about Mayan to work with two people and we didn't necessarily have those material perks but what we did do often was go out to loads of amazing talks and amazing exhibitions because it was a design company and there was a lot more emphasis on providing free sort of training and experiential things um, that got Mm -hmm. to do design like going to hear speakers from the industry um, talk on panels and things like that so there was a more emphasis on development which I really appreciated because we're a small team so we could just you know, my boss would just say, okay, we're going to leave for the afternoon now and do this thing. I just paid for it. And we'd all go together. Yeah. So that was something. That's like meaningful perks, stuff yeah. that like actually, you know, it really means something to, to your kind of professional development and your well-being and stuff. Like one thing that my work does, which I think is really good, is they, um, you get free therapy for certain, for like short periods of time. If you meet certain criteria, you can get um, six free therapy sessions, which... I think it's a really good oh, thing that employers should amazing. do for their employees to show that like their well-being and their mental health outside of work as well as in work is valued. Yeah. Yeah, we have that as well. We have an employee assistance program which is open to all colleagues and their households as well. So even if like your children and things are struggling and it's not even just mental well-being, it goes off like financial and legal advice as well. It's quite good. That wow, is this amazing. is also fascinating because it's like I never would have imagined work benefits or perks could manifest in such a way. So wow. Yeah, um, we've also just launched one that um it's a different it's a financial well-being thing, but it's about like loans and helping you to save, but obviously loans typically have a very high interest rate. Um but these are a lot lower, but you can get it through salary contributions as well. Oh, I have a question actually. It's kind of it's an EC question that's connected to this. Did you ever talk with your families about money and about stuff like money management? Um, I'd be really interested, especially to know, just comparing my background, to know how that was for you growing up in with different families, different backgrounds. Was it something you talked about? Not really, no. I think because um, also my family didn't really talk to me about much stuff anyway, because I was the youngest of six, so I was often like just forgotten about (laughs) left to my own devices um but no I wish they had because I'm actually really awful with um getting my head around finances and things like that and I don't have ices and I know I should and even when I think about doing it I can't because I just not that way minded but no unfortunately not my main message when I was younger from my parents was you don't buy it until you can afford to buy it outright um which obviously doesn't apply to everything because you know, things like houses or big purchases, you, mm. you, you know, unless you're in a very, very privileged position, um, you can't buy it outright. But, you know, things like um, cars, I mean, even that's a very pl- privileged position, but, you know, anything, we wouldn't buy things on credit or I wouldn't be encouraged to buy things on credit, like even like sofas, fridges, etc. They're like, if you can't afford it up front, maybe just wait a bit. And I know that's not practical for everyone, um, but that was kind of, the message that was instilled to us and I do try and do it because I realize the fortunate position I am in that I do have that ability to you know wait a bit longer and save a bit longer um, which I recognize not everyone is in that position but yeah I do try and still do it. Yeah for me it was very much um, don't spend money frivolously um, making sure you save your pennies um, and you know if you don't need it then obviously you don't really need to buy it either however my parents also like to spend their money when they've worked so hard and they like to treat themselves so um 
I think my, my dad particularly, you know, he feels that if you're going to pay that amount anyway, why not pay extra for something that's better? Mm. So he very much feels like it's better to buy something if you put a bit more money towards it, where it's better quality, better made or whatever, rather than just buying constantly and buying little things. Um, yeah, so I think in a way it's kind of both where I've been encouraged to just save money whenever I can um, and as much as possible. Um, even if there's no aim, because I think for some of my um, white Scottish friends, when I've asked them about saving money and how they treat money as well, very often the answer is that if they tend to save when there is a goal or a something like specific in mind, whereas I've come from a background where I just save regardless. So. My dad is like that as well. My dad says, don't bother buying something unless you're going to buy it really good quality. So he'll never buy the cheapest of something. But if I really wanted something um he'd be like okay well we're gonna buy a good one so that it lasts but um a really funny story that uh, my parents had was so when they first came over to the UK um and they lived in this little tiny village in Surrey my dad um he started working in the bakery and with one of his first pay packets without telling anyone because he obviously really excited to like get paid he just they just found their feet in the new country he went and bought a motorbike <laughs> and the morning that it arrived he got my mum out of bed and there's a photo oh of God. them where he sat on the motorbike like smiling he's got the helmet on my mum's still in her pajamas oh. <laughs> got a helmet on because he's obviously put one on her and he's like come take a photo of my motorbike and the photo she looks so angry oh God, <laughs> you need to see this I know I need to dig it out and my mum like every time we get the photo my mum's like I made him sell it like within a month my mum's just oh. like no you're not allowed to have it and so he did he was just like and my dad did the same thing that's so funny yeah my dad traded in his car he traded in his car for a BMW motorbike when he was like in his 60s and I was I just took one look at it and I was like no he was trying to recreate this like long lost dream of the life that he had in the 70s in Vietnam where like everyone just used to ride around on motorbikes with no helmets on or anything. And like, I mean, Vietnam is still full of mopeds and motorbikes, but everyone has to wear helmets now. I think he was just like trying to like relive the golden days. And I was like, yeah, well, the golden days was also a war zone. <laughs> so I made him trade it back. And um, thankfully it didn't last long, but I remember just being like, oh God. Now this is quite fascinating. Also whether the way our attitudes are towards money is a gendered thing in society. You know, whether women are kind of taught to be more scrupulous with the money because of the association with household and, and keeping um, money in the mm. house and how that runs. Whereas men, because of historically, and even today, you know, the, the pay gap, um, having more disposable income leads to, does that mean more, um, relaxed spending like I wonder if th there is a part of this um, gendering with how money is being treated because as we've seen here in the free examples we've we've been given um, it tends to be dads who decide to buy <laughs> to spend a bit more to buy and then the mum's going well you know mm. yeah to go back to the gendered thing I guess like stuff like migration also adds in a layer on there because I think yeah. with families who move to well to the UK for example I think there was often this element of hustle involved or like you know saving pennies because money equals food and food equals survival that kind of mentality as well that plays into it and also you know in relation to that I think for my parents certainly when they've come from um, such a rural background and they've worked so hard for their money there is the feeling of the survival but also they've worked so hard they just want to spend it you know they, the whole point of them immigrating was for a better life and if they're not using the money that they make for a better life whether it be material goods or experiences then what what was the point in them moving in the first place but yeah yeah actually Maya when you mentioned that thing about Vietnam after my my story about my dad it didn't actually really occur to me that it might have something to do with the fact that you know um I guess motorbikes are quite popular in Vietnam maybe that's something that was helping him to hark back to that time and oh no now I feel like really bad that he had to sell it because <laughs> my mom was so angry uh, honestly it was you had his safety uh, at heart I think it was a good thing that he sold it <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> that's so true um anywho that is i think probably our final question thank you so much to all of the wonderful other guests um, on this podcast. This was But Where Are You From, a podcast by Be Seen. Uh, we were joined by Kylie Wu, by Charlie Wong, and Mayan Peterson. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at Be Seen, uh, B E S E A dot N, and Twitter, which is same at B C, B E S E A underscore N. Please, please, uh, if you want to throw us a bit of coin to our, towards our coffee, that is ko-fi.com forward slash be seen. And also, please, please do sign our EC Heritage Mark petition. You can find the link on our website so that we can get the government to recognise it officially. It's going to happen anyway. We're forging ahead. We're really fantastic yeah. to make it a national observance. So thank you so much to everyone. Woo! Hey. See you next time. Yes, Bye. see you next time. Bye-bye.